This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today's Thursday, September 15th, 2022. I'm Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky coming to you from bookriot.com. Top of the show matter. It's Colleen Hoover's world and we're all living in it. And that includes Rebecca and I have read It Ends With Us. We have. The the jewel in the crown of Colleen Hoover's book sales tiara right now because she has this week she's down from eight of the top ten best-selling books in America to only six. So oh, a measly I know. six. <laughs> a measly six. I got a um, I got a email from NPD Bookscan, their you know publicity list or whatever, saying that Colleen Hoover has outsold the Bible this year. Oh my told. gosh! <laughs> Seven point three million copies so far this year, uh, a real phenomenon. And so Rebecca and I. With our pulse, our fingers on the pulse of the book buying public, two years later have decided to wade into the <laughs> waters of what the Colleen Hoover experience is about. And, and folks, I got to tell you, we have things to say. We got um, some feelings. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to listen to us talk about It Ends With Us on the Patreon, you can join us, patreon.com slash Podcast, and check us out there. Uh, let's see. Let's do, uh, well, let's do a sponsor break because we got some more for some more front matter stuff to do. So let's do our first sponsor break and we'll come back. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Uh, listener feedback time here for a minute. Uh, so I, I don't remember saying this last week, but I was talking about when One More Dragons with Kelly Barnhill and yes. trying to make mushy mouth words about how I wasn't <laughs> sure how to feel about it and everything. And apparently I said I didn't think, I don't see what a book club would talk about and immediately got emails about people like we were reading it for a book club. Someone, the first time in five years, someone's approached us, let's read this in a book club. Okay, fine, I'm wrong. I, I'll say this. It's interesting. I think last week I also talked about Actualized by um, Abdul Raza Gurna, and I was in the middle of it, and I finished it. And it has the last, like, not even the last paragraph, like the last five words of that book mm-hmm. just come off the top rope with a dagger right into your heart at the end of that book. And interestingly, they're kind of um, oppositely constructed, where Gurna starts with a fairly wide tapestry, and you, you move around, and you get a lot of detail. And and it narrows and accelerates and narrows and accelerates to this point where it just jabs you. The weird thing about When Women Were Dragons, it starts with this very, really kind of a big bang moment of thousands of, hundreds of thousands of women turning into dragons on a specific day. And then from there, it kind of expands and diffuses 
from there. So that opposite reading experiences, I think it's interesting. I, I guess maybe what I meant was I'm not sure what um, book clubs would make of it. It didn't feel like book club fodder kind of stuff mm. to me. It was doing something different. It has these intertextual things, like I said before, letters and journals. Book clubs discuss all kinds of books. I know that. It doesn't seem to be tailor-made to be a perfect one, but now I will say this. The people that emailed, their book club had not yet talked about it. So maybe uh, those of you who wrote in can tell me how it went. Did you find it interesting um, from there? But do th- I do appreciate everyone writing in. Yeah, I have a follow-up question about that because I think we probably share a pretty similar mental model of a book club book. Right. And so when you talk about there's not much for book clubs here, like usually, and especially we did just recently look at the book club questions in the back of one of the books that we read together. Tomorrow, tomorrow, and tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow. Yeah, that it it tends to be about like, what would you have done in this turning point moment? Mm -hmm. Or what would you have done in this relationship moment? Whether it's romantic relationships or some other kind of interpersonal interaction and so from what you have told me about the book and what i know of our venn diagram of book club mental models i'm assuming that when women and dragons is doing some other things than like spending a lot of time being deeply in interpersonal relationships i mean it is about interpersonal relationships but it's when some of those people have turned into dragons i just don't know where you go (laughs) it's a different it's a different dynamic jeff when one of you can breathe fire Right, it's it's a real tough hang when one of you is the size of a school bus and you know eats sheep. Um, but so anyway, I just want to acknowledge that. Like, I, it's an interesting book, and you can hear even my waffling about it is would be constructive if you know in mm-hmm. talking about it. So, be curious to see there. Um, also, one of the bookstores mentioned here. The name of the bookstore was the Red Queen. R e d shouts Great the Red name. Queen. That's an awesome name for a bookstore. Uh, let's see. We got a follow-up to email I included here about the New York Times obituaries. <laughs> An anecdote there. I don't have affirmative consent. I'll just read there. I thought this would amuse you. When I was working at the Times about eight years ago, this is the listener, not me, I was in the elevator one January when someone got in and addressed the other writer, the editor of the obit section at the time. Wow, you're really busy lately. Yep. They always hang on till after the holidays. So that's not just gallows humor. That's like gallows reporter humor, I guess, is technically (laughs) what that is. I was thinking more about that Times obit section this week when Kenneth Starr died and the obituary came out very quickly and was very robust. And I had a whole like, did they have a Kenneth's like, how deep is the bench of like pre-written or at least pre-started obituaries and how do they decide when someone goes on it this is a criteria situation that i would love to see so maybe to narrow it into our own field of demi expertise how many authors right now do you think have an obet ready to go at the new york times that's another way of asking kind of the same question i guess yeah like before tony morrison and james salter died i would have said they Mm. probably are on the radar at the times because literarily significant and also up there in years. Like what if you're right. over 80 and of literary significance, I would think in the, in the book world, somebody's thinking about an so you obit think 80. So if you, you've achieved some I level of notoriety, so. once you had 80, does something kick in? I wonder, I wonder yeah, if they like, have some right, sort of like heuristic for was, this. Right. That's what I was wondering is like, is there a checklist of, okay, mm. you're uh, about this age or we know something like maybe there have been headlines about previous health right. concerns. And so you could be younger, but that would Cormac be McCarthy for sure up. has one ready to go. He's old. He's been, right. you know, rumored to be in poor health. So let's think of what's the toughest. I'm sure Stephen King has one. He's relatively old. He, I mean, whatever. That that's that's what he's a, a titan. So you either need to be a titan so they're ready earlier, or you need to be getting up there. So here's an interesting. Here's the liminal case. What about Marilyn Robinson? God save Marilyn Robinson. But oh, she's yes. older at this point. The times. Do you think that one's times, ready to go? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So what's a harder call? I wonder. I'm trying to think of a good hard call. Someone in their 60s, hale and hearty in their 60s, mm-hmm. with a good. A good list. Or how old is Nora um, Roberts? Like very famous, but not Nora super Roberts. literary. Now I'm Googling. Yeah, Nora Roberts is seventy. Dan, Dan Brown? Do they have a Dan Brown obit ready to he go? Too He's too young. In his 50s. He's too young. Hmm. Fanny Flagg? Oh. What about Fanny Flagg? That seems an interesting liminal case. That is One an really question. well-known book. She sold well. She's older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're being maudlin at this point. <laughs> but 
the the long story is this is not an easy job, and as we said last week, they do it beautifully, and it's a real service both to the deceased and to to, to knuckleheads like us who want to remember um, that tennis player or that scientist or that politician or um, that writer. So anyway, if you know, yeah, uh, let us know. I'd love please. to know. I bet there's a book out there about the New York Times obituary. That's department. a memoir I would a, read the crap out of. A long New Yorker profile. I bet there's one out there somewhere. All right, Rebecca, where where should we go next? Before we get too far in, I want to give listeners of this show, our general show here, a heads up. You know, once a quarter we do an episode that is the content in some way is chosen by the members of Book Riot Insiders. And what they selected for this quarter uh, is for us to do a book nerd movie hour. And we decided to finally lean in. And do not an adaptation, but Dead Poets Society. So um, our episode in this feed on October 3rd is going to be a conversation about Dead Poets Society. Uh, If you've never seen it, what are you doing? (laughs) If you have seen it, time for a rewatch. You've got you got two weeks notice here uh, that that's what we'll be talking about on October 3rd. So, you know, get under your Afghan, put on your sweater vest tear some pages out of a poetry textbook we're mm-hmm. gonna do the thing i gotta think of some new things to say i did a live watch along blog for oh, the site right. a long time ago like a decade ago at this point well yeah but i gotta dust some i'll dust that off i'll, I'll do some chestnuts there one of i'll give you a couple um a couple of, this is the kind of content you can expect on that show <laughs> and you'll appreciate this one too one of my notes there is cameron who is the snitch uh, mm-hmm. for those of you know the has this, he's got red hair, but like this military perfect crew cut. Yes. And I know that that is not easy to do with red hair. So that's one of my observations. Like how long a day, they even give you a shot of him trying to tend that thing because you know how hard, (laughs) how how buttoned up he has to be to keep that baby high and tight. So this is the kind of content you can expect from my incisive analysis of a dead poet society. Before you gave that example, I was going to say, I feel like I'm coming in on my back foot talking about dead poet society with a former English professor. But I feel a little bit better since we've done redhead crew cut observations. Maybe <laughs> this one is like this one is like second only to Buzz in Home Alone. Yes, it's a heck of it's a heck of a I'm a douchebag haircuts. <laughs> Just right away, you know, there's something wrong with that guy. He's I do need to like object that. to the fact that, of course, the snitch is a ginger. But you know, I think it's tough. Uh, it, it is tough, but it's a. It's it's a, it's an iconic movie for people who like books, especially if you were say fifteen, mm-hmm. like I was in nineteen ninety three. A sne- well, it's not even sneaky anymore, but a profoundly influential um, watching experience for people who've been students, two people who've been teachers. I think Mr. Keating maybe is the er example of the ideal teacher, I and think we'll so. get into why that there's trouble with that. But I can't name another one like. I can name others. You've got, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Dangerous Minds. You've got Edward James Olmos and Stand and Deliver. I'm trying to think of, yeah, I, Miss Bliss and Saved by the Bell. They're just, there's fewer than you would think. There's fewer than you would think, right? Good, Mr. Chips and Goodbye, Mr. Chips. I'm going back to like 1923 Alice now. Alice and Janney's character in uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. Well, she's not an English teacher. She's just writing a romance novel. Yeah, I'm just going all teachers. I'm going all teachers. Uh, Wallace Shawn in Clueless. Mr. Feeney. Not exactly. Mr. Feeney, I guess. Boy Meets World, yeah. Boy Meets It's fine. What I'm saying is it's fine. It's it's not a Mount Rushmore. Okay. It's like Keating is like, it's like if there was one giant Mount Rushmore head and then a bunch of like, you know... um, participation trophies down at the bottom. So uh, looking forward to getting to that, looking forward to cranking up Ode to Joy while they're playing soccer um, and getting into a little Shakespeare. And uh, all right, so here we go. It'll be a good time. What else do we need? To, it'll be a good time. Look at the October 3rd. Um, you drive. Where are we going? Yeah, you know, our friends at Out of Print Clothing, and if you're a book nerd, you've seen their clothes, even if you don't 
know it. Uh, they do the great t-shirts with like the old original cover of The Great Gatsby or Catcher in the Rye or any number of other things among a ton of other products. They are hiring a digital marketing content associate looking for somebody who can produce photos and video that will be used in their marketing materials, you know, an email across social, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, all the good stuff. Um, definitely a bonus if you have a strong passion for books and literature and storytelling. We've worked really closely with the folks at Out of Print mm -hmm. for several years. When we ran the Book Riot store, it was powered by them. We worked in partnership with them. Uh, good people uh, share a lot of our ethos and way of approaching the world and thinking about the place of publishing and the role of books uh, in greater society. And so we're just happy to share that this is an opportunity. If you're you know, listening to this show, you're looking for a gig in publishing and you're good at taking pictures and making videos of stuff, make it look beautiful. They have gorgeous products, so it's not hard. Uh, just tons of creative opportunity there. And we'll have the listing linked in the show notes if you want to check that out. Yeah, it's a fun job be a fun job yeah. if you like the world of books and media and bookish stuff. Um, we're really hitting, I'm trying to think when we're going to hit peak book banning story. Like, well, not, not the peak this, book banning, because this is going to yeah. be going on, but like this next story is getting pretty close. John it, Green made yeah. a TikTok. Oh, go ahead, Rebecca. It's like book banception, this one. Kind of. Yes, it is. He made a TikTok talking about, is that what you say? God, it's like a thousand billion. Um, made a video that he posted on TikTok. That's probably worse. I'm aging myself. <laughs> the vulture piece yeah. here just says made a TikTok. So let's go with that. It's, yeah, it's vulture uh, in text. <laughs> I don't know what they did. Anyway, about how his hometown middle school, um, someone on the school board there has, I guess, called for his books. Let's talk about it. And looking for Alaska to be removed from school libraries. Here's the quote from Alicia Ferrant. Um, Alicia, of course. We have morals and values. Morals and values are kind of the same thing. There are thousands of parents with high standards who try everything that they can to make sure that their kids don't have access to things that are encouraging them, encouraging them to go and have sex. Mm. Um, so also sex is fine. Sex is great. Do it responsibly with consenting old adults of age. So there's one. Sex is not evil. Uh, the second is Green's like, I don't know that you would call this pornography. I think that no. way is a little weird. I read Looking for Alaska. Yeah. And I agree that it is not encouraging. I guess if your blanket definition, which most of these groups honestly are, if there's any representation of sex that doesn't end in death, pregnancy, or ostracization, that's encouraging yeah, people to I have think, sex. Yeah, I think, yes. Any indication that even just that appears to normalize that this is the thing people can do, like those, the couple sentences that you just said, sex is normal, sex yes. is fine, do it you know, safely with consenting partners, that is dangerous. The, that whole yep. line of thinking is dangerous. And I do think it's interesting that they can't tell the difference between just representation and encouragement like mm -hmm. what other kinds of things does their kids see happen in video games or in books or movies or tv shows or just in the hallways of their middle school that they witness but know they are not being encouraged to do it's just i mean shocking jeff this is not a nuanced argument these folks are making it sounds to me like the best the best um negative uh encouragement for the kids to have sex in this town is their parents. It doesn't sound like it's fun to be around these folks. It doesn't seem like, yeah, I want to be in a relationship like this and do yeah. that. That's, that's the best warding they can do. I'm not sure. This is also Ferrante's group, Moms for Liberty. Um, Kelly's written about this. Mm -hmm. It's a well-organized but also very shallow shell of a special interest group that is finding these soft targets and attacking them. Yeah, and continues to do so. And, you know, John Green has a good sense of humor about himself. And he's talking about how this is a weird experience on a couple of levels. He says, um, you know, first off, he knows some of the people involved. Like the quote here says, like, I remember you from middle school. <laughs> that, that has to be even harder to take this seriously when it's like, I remember when we were 12 together, what you were like, uh, and yeah. that it's very upsetting for his mom because now she's got to deal with all these people talking to her about it on Facebook, which don't go harass an author's parents. His mom did not write this book. 
all of this is bad no. behavior. But I think this is, if not peak, very close to like peak weirdness of all the book banning stuff is that your own book gets banned from a school you went to by people you knew. That that's that is very very strange. That's very strange. May their and efforts John Green, fail. Is John Green? There will certainly be now using our own rubric here. There'll be an obit for John Green. I don't know what kind of like Q rating John Green has in the adult population at this point. He's been writing young adult for a while. So a lot of the people that, you know, grew up on John Green are now mm-hmm. adults, but like you and I, we work in books. Do does your like do your people do your friends who like books, would they know John Green? Would they be like, Oh, the guy who wrote Fault in Our Stars? Like that's his most famous book. Mm, I think if I said the Fault in Our Stars that the more bookish of the folks in my circle right. would know it if I just said his name. I don't think so. I think I am old enough and my friends are old enough. Like I was uh-huh. in my 20s when John Green got popular, you know, that. Um, yeah. So there's we're not a little like, too old. Yeah, a little too old to have like the, the deep connection to it. But I do like his career is one that there would be a times obit for, which made me jogged my memory yeah. for another John. There's definitely a draft somewhere for John Irving. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. You don't write a 900-page book called The Last Chairlift, and people are like, no, John, (laughs) we need to watch this guy. 916 pages. It's rough. It's it's a rough go. It must break down, like in the middle of the getting up on this, the mountain. You're just just swinging on that chairlift. (laughs) Yeah, I've been stuck in a chairlift for a while, not 916 pages uh, before. Uh, Let's see. Oh, you know, in in speaking of books, we're excited to come out. Mm -hmm. I think I may have mentioned privately about being worried that Angela yes! Flournoy had been lost to writing for TV, mm-hmm. but she ain't, Rebecca. She, she ain't. is not. This Very is fascinating to me. Um, do you want to take the what's the, the nuts and bowl? The yeah, nuts and I just saw this come across. I think one of our contributors shared it on Slack yeah. this week that um, she has a seven-figure deal for two books uh, at Mariner. The first is a novel, uh, and then the second is a memoir that's about her first pregnancy, which coincided with her mother being diagnosed with terminal illness. And um, I. I I think we've talked, I mean, several times about like, where is Angela Flournoy? Because <laughs> the mm-hmm. Turner house was wonderful. And it was such six a, years ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And it was a big debut. And it was like, this is a career that I'm looking forward to watching. And I'm looking forward to reading more of this person's books. And I, I think I had just sort of been like, well, it's six. It's been six years. I had quietly accepted in the corner of my heart. Maybe we just won't get any more Angela Flournoy books. Yeah. And I'm very, very glad to see this happening. And um, in Publishers Lunch, it mentioned it was a seven-figure deal. So there's mm-hmm. two books. So yeah. I don't know how they split that up necessarily. It's a little unusual. I don't see it very often. Maybe it's completely usual or it's more usual than I would expect. It's unusual to know about, republicize this way. A two-book deal for a second and third book, one fiction, which is in the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and Turner House did well. NBA finalist, I believe, National Book Award finalist, I think so, yeah. I think off the top of my head. So it probably sold fairly well, but this is a big second get, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times there's a seven-figure deal for the debut, um, the big rookie contract or the big signing bonus. Usually those don't pan out. So usually the next one doesn't happen. So you really have to overperform to some degree or get someone really believes in what you're doing. Um I was really excited to see this. The Turner House is really, really good. One of the more accomplished debut novels that if you told me that it's not a debut novel, I would have believed you. Um, and I, we talked, I think when Homegoing first came out, we were talking about Jesse and how there was this unbelievable cohort of young black writers and Flournoy mm-hmm. was among that Britt Bennett. Jasmine Ward's a little on the older side, but I think you can still keep in the generation there. And Flournoy's one of them. And she, I think she went to work on a TV show or a couple of them. And I don't remember the the titles or I don't either uh, it, it doesn't remember but I, I remember thinking I can see how you wrote you wrote a great first novel and then you get sucked into the very lucrative and fun and probably mm-hmm. more people see any show that you work on than any book you'll ever write and like okay well that's a new thing and there's so many shows congratulations to her I hope it's great sad for me because I want more floor night and I get it and I hope we both got everything that we want yes, because this is as important to me clearly as it is to Angela Flournoy's life and career right yeah now, I, I feel like if the Turner House came out right now it would be a Reese pick 
there would be an adapt there'd be like adaptation talk i would love i'd love to see this as an adaptation if you read memphis this year did you read it or did was i the only one i did i read memphis memphis feels like a descendant of the flournoy novel uh, in a lot of ways a spiritual descendant and like a kind of very similar in plot Mm -hmm. and that one got picked up and is doing the whole reese run and I, I, I'm here for this. The novel um, from the PW notice that's linked in, in this tweet that we'll have in the show notes. The novel is called Wounded Wilderness, and it follows four black women over the course of 20 years of friendship, examining how gender expectations, race, class, and the shifting dynamics of city life will affect them. You had me at four generations. I'm and in. Angela gen- I'm, every time I'm in. Because <laughs> didn't that come out around the same time as The Mothers with Britt Bennett's debut? And maybe Keelan Gr- so. Oh, right. And um, Imbolo and Bouet's like first three. book, Behold the Dreamers, yeah, was right? around then. Mm-hmm. There was a whole bunch. Um, and Britt Bennett, with her sophomore novel, Vanishing Half, that blew up. I mean, that was it one did. of the best-selling commercial fiction slash, well, it's like literary mystery. It's one of those, right? It's it's multiple, mm-hmm. multi-hyphenate kind of a book. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad to see Fornoy back in the mix looking at that with great expectation and so probably she was working at two books at the same time that can't be easy yeah and then other stuff going on it sounds like uh from the memoir so very excited very excited to see there uh, let's do another sponsor break and we're going to go to technology corner for a quick minute is that we haven't been there for, we gotta Mm-mm, let me get out the broom we gotta <laughs> i gotta clean up around here just a second <laughs> gotta wake future girl up for a minute yeah when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. E-readers, Rebecca, um, you put in Kobo's, I put in Amazon. So why don't you take Kobo and why don't I sure. take Amazon? Why don't you go first? Yeah, Kobo has a new e-reader coming out called the Clara 2E. Uh, it's going to be available after September 22nd. So pretty quickly as you're listening to this show, the big pitch for it is that it's eco-friendly. The exterior of it is made with recycled plastic. They are packaging it as a big upgrade in a small package. Uh, it's made with ocean-bound recycled plastic, six-inch HD e-ink screen. There's a dark mode and a comfort screen you can read at night. Uh, There's blue light reduction, which, you know, everybody's into these days. All the usual features that you would also expect, and it's waterproof, so you can read it in the tub or spill your coffee on it. Or, I don't know, if you're me, you could spill your bourbon on it in the tub and it would be fine. Uh, So (laughs) this looks looks like a a great option for folks who are looking for a standalone e-reader if you're thinking about the eco-conscious angle this is i I think i put this in because it's the first time that i've seen Mm. a piece of technology like this be marketed as eco-conscious which was just interesting and i'm kind of once i saw it i was kind of surprised that i hadn't seen someone else do it uh list price is 129.99 so a little higher than the base model kindle which we're we're Mm going to talk about in just a second but not super expensive um Kobo has interesting reading stats that are built into their app. Um, and, and for folks that are looking to stay out of the Amazon ecosystem here in the U.S., like Kobo is, I think, much more popular in Canada and is tied to some of the Canadian booksellers. But here in the yep. U.S., if you're looking to stay out of the Amazon ecosystem, this looks like a really good comp for not much of a tax on staying out of, of Amazon. But if you don't care, if you are a self-interested <laughs> 
bastard like me, I'm, getting, I'm going on a trip this week, and I just packed my Kindle Oasis and my stupid micro USB cable, which I was ranting to you about yesterday in a, in a different Very context. Sorry you were asking, you're... you were asking about what do you even use a micro USB cable before? <laughs> and I was laughing because, like, we're going to talk about the Kindle tomorrow. Um, the Extant Kindles use micro USB, and if you don't know what that is, that's exactly why they should get rid of it. And they have with the this is the base model Kindle. For for a while now, the basically standing recommendation has been the Paperwhite, which is the middle of the range. Mm-hmm. It goes from bottom to top, just the Kindle, the Kindle Paperwhite, and then the Kindle Oasis, which is quite a bit more money. I think it's two forty nine for the Oasis, and the new base model Kindle got upgraded. The, the big upgrade here is it has a three hundred. Uh, it has a three hundred pixels per inch screen. To translate into normal speak, it looks great. It looks as good as the Paperwhite or Kindle. Basically can't see the pixels under most conditions. Um, the old one was starting to look blurry. It's got longer battery life, but also if you've got an iPad or a Mac or really any modern technology technology device, you don't have micro USB cables. So this now charges via USB-C. Great. Which again, really the iPhone, we need to get everyone on USB-C so we can, we can finally pack up and move out of Dongletown that we've all been sort of like um, golden handcuffed to. Um, but the micro USB is an older, like a lot of Android phones. It was sort of the cheap one for a long time because it's very inexpensive to make and there wasn't a lot of licensing and a lot, not a lot of technology. You can't do much with it except charge. Anyway, it's out October 12th, $99.99 with ads or 20 bucks without. Thought, this is a thought experiment. I'd never thought about this before. Is that Amazon saying that the average value of all ads they will ever oh, yeah. show, the average Kindle user is 20 bucks. Do you think that, or what are they doing there? It's a great question. Because if it's I... more than that, why don't they charge more? Right. Yeah. What's if it's the... less than that, why don't they charge less? How well can those ads possibly perform? This is deep background. I've heard in the course of our businessing <laughs> that they can perform quite well to the point okay. where people wanted more inventory. They wanted Amazon to be moving more Kindles so that they could do more ads. That's, I think that's one data point from one person, but yeah. who is in very much a kind of, it's not, it's I sort of self publishing, but like very self directed in terms of doing marketing spend. And like they perform, they perform well enough that this person wished there were more inventory to buy against. That's one. It data makes point. me wonder what the split is of Kindle yeah. users between ad supported and non ad. Because if most people just get the ones, and I'm just I'm guessing, but like if most people just get yeah. the ones that show the ads and they don't really mind it, whatever, then Amazon's not giving up much to only mm-hmm. charge twenty dollars extra to sell a small percentage of their base the version that right. they really want. Which is better than having them go to Co- to Co- to Kobo or somewhere else where they could read without ads at all. Um, yep. Yeah, I don't yep. know. I think that's really that's a it's a really interesting question. I have a question about your Kindle usage because you're also yes. an iPad guy, right? So I am. I come and go like my laptop, like my notebook. The grass <laughs> is always greener with I a do, different e-reader. I do know this to be true of you. And your your laptop journey. Yeah, um, oh, there's always something wrong. <laughs> the next one's going to be the the best one. The next one's going to solve it all. So currently, you're just reading on your Kindle. iPad is not in the game, or no? Or I re- I mostly read on my iPad, but I'm traveling okay. and I can throw my Kindle Oasis in there. I'm not going to have to charge it. It's okay. three days, and I can use it heavily. It's lighter. I usually read on my iPad anymore. Frankly, in this. Because I can make the text bigger and I'm not flipping all the damn time. If I make the text big and I'm reading without my ki- my glass yeah, on my Kindle, yes. there's like nine words on the page. And I'm just I hitting s- the button every single time. I sat next to a woman on a flight last month who had the font so big on her Kindle. Yeah. Like I could read it sitting next to her very easily. And she was there were like 12 words per page. I was like, that yeah. would drive me bananas. Yeah. It's, it's super the other virtue of my iPad, too, I have... Um, a regular, I have an iPad Air, the 11-inch one. There's so many weird numbers now. The other thing I like about reading my iPad, I can sit in my chair in the morning with my coffee, and I can put, I could just put the iPad on my lap and just kind of swipe yep. to change. Whereas my Oasis, I like it. It's very light. It fits well in my hand, but I do have to press the 
that button right there. Mm-hmm. Or I, you can do a swipe gesture, but it's a little bit buggy, and I'm spoiled by App- Apple's touch technology <laughs> as good true. as anything out there. So it's yeah, just one of those things where on the plane where I'm just sitting there, you don't mind. The Oasis is great. And I if I were in the market for a Kindle now, I think I'd buy this beast You would go for this. I just cannot sell myself on a standalone e-reader. Maybe it's because I'm an iPad mini user. Like my yeah. hands are smaller. That's the right size for me. Mm-hmm. When I read on it, it's about the screen is about the size, maybe a little bit bigger than a standard you know, trade paperback. And I can do a bunch of other things on it if I want to, you know. Um, a Kindle's like, a little too small for my hand. It, okay. that, I know that sounds wild, but like I put a pop socket, one of those things on the back of yeah, my yeah, Oasis, yeah. just so I can hold it that way. Interesting. Because like w- to hold it in the, this is real anatomical detail. No one needs, but like you put the corner in the palm of my hand, just where my thumb can do the page forward. Like the throw is a little too short for my, <laughs> my giant man. I mean, and for new listeners to this show, you are 16 inches taller than me. Yeah, so. I'm 6'4", you know, <laughs> I'm I'm a fairly large person. So, you know, again, technology, physical technology, and that's another thing about all this stuff is like it's kind of be the one that you'd want yeah, to do. And I think this is meant to be something you can leave by the pool. You can, you know, leave it. Like an iPad is a $600. I mean, you're getting into but, yeah, a new iPad mini is five ninety nine, right? Oh, I don't know. Mine's a couple years old, but yeah. Yeah. So it's just a different kind of a proposition. Um but anyway, I think it's interesting to see these. We're in the we're in the realm of in, uh, marginal improvements, mm-hmm. um, and it's, Kobo trying to dif- differentiate itself by being eco conscious is is fascinating to see. Yeah, it's super interesting. Shoot me an email podcast at bookriot.com. if you are if you have a Kindle. What is what's our ads without ad split? I think every Kindle I've ever bought that had the ads option, I take the ads. One, it's cheaper. And two, I'm sort of interested to see what's on there. <laughs> Sometimes it's like self-publishing. I'm never going to be interested in. But today was Michael Mann's Heat 2, which yeah. was a fascinating book. So they're spending <laughs> well, money and, there. And you have a meta reason to be interested yes. in what advertising is happening right. on your Kindle, yeah. which most folks don't. That's true. So anyway, podcast at bookwrite.com. Do we have anything else before Frontless Corner? We already. don't. Yeah, Frontless we're just foyer. cooking along this week. Why don't you go first? Okay. Um, I finished On the Rooftop by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton, which I talked about mostly last week. So I will just say it was a delight. Um, good, I think, upmarket commercial. Really a, a thoughtful and fun story with a lot of music in it. If you like mm. Motown and soul music or like the girl groups of the 50s and 60s, I really enjoyed spending 350 pages imagining myself into this family where the mother was trying desperately to get the three daughters to become a girl group. Like one daughter wants to go off and get married. Another daughter wants to be an activist. All of this stuff is happening up around them. Meanwhile, mom is maybe falling in love with the pastor uh, from their local church in their neighborhood in San Francisco. It was just really full of life, um, really funny the characters were interesting, and I, I'm going to go back to the word delightful. I do love a book that rotates between a bunch of different characters' perspectives within the same family, and I thought Sexton's take on it was just really wonderful and, and felt original to me. Um, on the In the land of business books, which I don't think I've talked about in a mm. while, I'm almost finished with How Women Rise by Sally, Sally Helgeson and Marshall Goldsmith. It's really good. Uh, It takes the like, there's a lot of business books that are like, either, okay, ladies, you've got to do things the way that the boys do them, which we know does not work, or kind of the lean in, like just work harder model. And this one is fascinating, because Marshall Goldsmith has been a corporate coach for years and years and years. And by virtue of the fact that most of the people at the top of most of the corporations are men, all of the paradigms he had developed for coaching were around like what are the obstacles that hold CEOs back? And it happened that most of those were obstacles that were holding male CEOs back. And Mm. when women started rising in the workplace, he started noticing in his coaching practice, along with Sally Helgeson and the work she was doing, that women run into different obstacles in corporate life, which of course they do, because the the rules are different. So the framing for this book is basically what got you here to this successful place in your career or to the place you are is not going to get you to the next level. And the rules that men can function by in corporate life are not the rules that, or or not the practices really, that best serve women. So they look instead, and they say like, we acknowledge this is patriarchal 
BS and it's a problem. Like you can't fix that by yourself. What you nope. can control is your behavior. So let's acknowledge all of the frustrating sexism that happens. And without giving into it, it doesn't feel like capitulation. It feels like, okay, here is how to look at reality and do the things within your control differently to give yourself a greater, uh, you know, line towards success. And um, so they identify behaviors that they've seen hold women back in the workplace and suggest things you can practice and alternate behaviors that you can that you can put into them. So one of those uh, that is really common is waiting for someone to notice your good work and comment mm. on it and recognize you and then suggest that you should get a promotion. Uh, and the example that they give is this woman who's like super already pretty powerful in her organization. She's a really good connector. She spends a lot of time like having meetings with people in other departments and connecting this guy over here to this person over there and doing all of this like this sort of behind the scenes work that is making their company function better. And she gets to her performance review and her boss tells her, you know, one of the things I'd like you to work on is making more connections and having more conversations with people outside our department. And first she has this flare up of like, how dare, that's all I do. And then she realizes, how would he know? Because I never mm. told him. <laughs> Yep. And and he's busy, so I've got to go tell him. Um, one of them is, you know, being so focused on expertise at the thing you're doing. Like, I've got to be a perfect expert at this before I attempt anything else. And men are rewarded for boldly going into stuff that they don't know how to do. <laughs> but women are not. There's really good social incentive to try to develop expertise and, like, look like you have all your stuff together. But there's a certain place where to move into a higher level, you do have to be willing to just take some risks and not know everything before you get started. And I, I really just appreciated the way that they're framing it. I think for th having thought about like my own career, for what I see happening with friends, for the kinds of coaching that I do with our staff and the things that I think about, it's been really helpful. And I think the most nuanced approach that I've seen to like really acknowledging women face a different set of circumstances in the corporate world. That is a problem. And you as an individual can only control what you can control. So here's how you can do it in some, some proactive ways. So mm. re that's really interesting. And then I am about, I was telling you right before the show about like 40% of the way through your recommendation from last week in the early times by Tad Friend, which is, it feels like a special reading experience. Mm -hmm. You know, we We've talked on the last couple episodes about the beauty of a memoir written by a New Yorker writer. It's just gorgeous. His reflections on his family are so sharp. Like, God help me, I am not befriending anyone who writes for the New Yorker because I don't ever want to be described by one of them. Like, no. I don't want to know how you observe me, please. Please don't cut me out of paper with an X-Acto knife. <laughs> right. It's so, <laughs> so like, it's sharply observed. But then the places where it's tender are so gorgeous. His mm. parents were fascinating people. You told me there was some spicy stuff. And like, and, like wait for the end. It gets really spicy. It's already spicy. 40% of the way in. All I have to say is if your parent dies and they leave behind a file marked Annals of Carnality, don't open it. Just don't. Burn it. You don't and need to also, go in there. also, you are so lucky to be raised by James Salter. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, I would read James Salter's Annals of Carnality. If he was your dad? No. Oh, no. No. no okay. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> don't read your parents' diaries. Just don't do it. I, I but can't Tad, see what good comes out of it. Tad Friend has produced a great book and I hope has had a lot of therapy. What if Terry Tempest Williams' mom had not had a blank book, but it had been Annals of Carnality? <laughs> How much different were okay, when women listen, were birds have been? If you're inheriting your Mormon mother's diaries and they turn out to be Annals of Carnality, you just have an even more interesting book. That's right. You get a very nice deal, according to you Publishers Lunch. <laughs> at auction to Norton. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. Anyway, thank you for the recommendation because it was spot on 
I, I just feel myself really sinking into it, and it feels sparkly. It's a special. It's experience. my favorite of my the four books I've read by New Yorker writers. <laughs> I know that's a lot, but I I read four New York. I, well, Lost and Found. Uh-huh. I told you about Rogues, which you yep. I think you lit, read a piece of it or something. Or yeah, I just it, went back and listened that. to the chapter about Anthony Bourdain. Bourdain. Yeah, so good. And then. Um, uh, who was stay true his memoir of mm, yeah, part of a part up. of his his time really through college is what it covers um they're all good in their own ways but i think if i had to pick one uh highlander style it would be in the early times uh for me i mentioned i finished the gurna abdurazak which i was high I, I liked but it went up a level in the last 10 pages and in the last 10 words. It's um, magic when that happens. I, I've been thinking, I've been thinking about that a lot of late. I also serendipitously for me, at least not for Emma Straub, really. I, this time tomorrow came up on mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. Libby holds Emma Straub, who we didn't talk about when we mentioned the passing of Peter Straub is that's her dad, Peter Straub. And lo and behold, this time tomorrow <laughs> is mothers and yes. fathers stuff mm-hmm. with time travel. Sprinkle. You read this already, right? I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, she wrote a big Emma '90s a, energy in in this, and yeah. uh, you know, I think we're to the point where people, kind of my age, yearish age, between our ages, are now writing our second and third books, ours, their second and third <laughs> books, and that's when you start writing about your childhood and growing up. So we're finally getting these stories of '90s culture. This is also a great New York book. It's a great mother, uh, excuse me, father daughter book, um, and has time travel in it. It's the most ambitious of our books, I would say, because it has this specific element of time travel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably my favorite so far of her books okay. as well. I, I haven't really done a power ranking, but... Um, and also, I knew the father in the book is ailing, and I know that Peter <laughs> Schaub had been ailing for, ailing for a little yeah. while, so it adds that whole layer. She wrote well. a really lovely reflection about writing the book and about his death um, in mm-hmm. Vulture this week. If you have a, if you're listening and you are interested in that, it was really beautiful. And then the last thing, um, and I'll finish it probably tonight when I'm on the plane or in, in the line for security. God oh boy. Uh, I think I have found peak dad book in the form of Buzz Bissinger's The Mosquito oh, yeah. Bowl. Okay. Which is a, a book about a football game played on Guadalcanal during World War II. <laughs> yep. That also involves Bissinger's own father, who was involved in some way. So I I don't know how you get more peak than that, uh, necessarily. The the thing that distinguishes it from, I guess, run-of-the-mill dad book is Bissinger's a really wonderful writer. He has this sort of soft focus, folksy reverence and um, elo- uh, elocution. So it's approachable but elevated in that way. He is political. He does bring politics into it in this regard. He does talk about the racism um, and both towards black people, uh, black soldiers, especially in World War II, but then also the enmity between the Japanese and Americans, like racism on both sides and how that affected them and sexism as well. So he brings that in to give a, a fuller picture. But really, this is the story of this football game played in the worst of circumstances that sort of throws both the power of sport and the horror of war into relief mm-hmm. in its own kind of way. Um, a wonderful listen. Um, George Newberg, who's the narrator, kind of trades in this. I don't. I would need to come up with my own taxonomy of audiobook personalities or deliveries, <laughs> but he reads it kind of as if he's telling the story a little mm-hmm. bit, like he's kind of on a porch. Um, it's a little too specific to actually pull off that mimesis, but... There's an element to let's sit around and I may have a glass of scotch in my hand and I, we're you know doing one of those things and it's very unusual as an approach for a narration and enough where when I realized who it was I clicked on the name in Audible and looked like oh yeah and so there's not many narrators where I will do a pass like what else has this guy done mm-hmm. now in frontlist my frontlist project I don't have quite the um, latitude to just go listen to something 14 years old because I like the narration I'm looking for it but. I would be shocked if I don't bring up the Mosquito Bowl in some future mom's, dad's, grad's okay. Christmas recommendation show. So That sounds great. There you go. It's it's pretty good. Um, I, t- turns I out realized... Guadalcanal sucked, by the way, oh, just yeah. in case anyone didn't know that. 
I realized while you were describing the narration there that I just assume that all of the Buzz Bissinger books sound like Kyle Chandler is narrating them. <laughs> you know, actually, <laughs> it's not. It's not the worst. It's not that worst. Like maybe Southern drawl. Like I'm not mm-hmm. sure what that accent is he's doing in Friday Nights or or he does it, but it's not the worst comp uh, in the world. Um, it does make me wonder. I got a PR release. I don't want to mention names because no free ads, whatever. Of a self-published book that now has a celebrity hmm. narrator, like something I'll tell you offline. Someone you and I have heard of. Okay. And the the opaqueness of the cost of narration for audiobooks. It's a great still, mystery. It's a great mystery. Oh, Ames is reading Project Hail Mary. He's totally <gasps> sucked in right now. Speaking of, he's doing it in print, and I know you did on audio, and it's, I, it's so one of my great regrets audio. that I haven't done audio. I know, I know, I know. And he and I were talking about why it be interesting. Mm-hmm. I think Michelle maybe will do it on audio. Where is it? Oh, it reminded me of Rosario Dawson who narrated oh, yeah. Artemis. And that was the one that really I was like record scratch? Yeah. What How? is the deal? <laughs> How? I still... And, and was it Tom Hanks that narrated like yeah, uh, Ann Patchett's yes. book of yes. essays? Yes. Now that was more of a friend doing a friend of yeah, solid kind pals. of a situation. Mm-hmm. So... But I don't know how much you need to get someone you've heard of that's been in movies narrating your book. It's either a lot more or a lot less than I would think, because that's the only thing that describes the the, and, the the data I'm seeing. Yeah, and like given I don't know what we know about publishing budgets yeah. in general, I would I'm leaning towards it's lower than we. I think it would be surprisingly low for. This. But, but it's, it's hard a to be a days sol- work. Yeah, and it's like hard to be a celebrity right now. It's either, you know, yeah. make a make a couple grand narrating this audiobook or like now you have to become an influencer and hawk your favorite laundry detergent on Instagram. Right. So you're waiting two take, years for your Apple TV Plus streaming show to come back on. <laughs> right. I take audiobook yeah. narration. And if Kyle Chandler wants to get on that, I will sign up. It's a good list. Actors that we maybe that's a future Patreon. Mm-hmm. We can each pick our five actors we would we want to listen to narrate stuff. Chandler might be up there. I don't think he's, I don't think he makes the cut, but that's a interesting one. Okay, I think we've come to the end of our idle speculation. Again, <laughs> welcome all little birdie knowledge. Yes, please. Uh, if you know how, if you know what the bag that they dropped for Dawson for the Ar- Artemis, uh, I won't even tell if you don't want me to. I just need to know. I'll share it with Rebecca if she asks nicely. Um, <laughs> podcast at bookriot.com. You can find all the stories we talked about this week, bookriot.com slash listen you can find especially the links in this episode will include a link to the out of print gig if that's something that interests you and it should if it all sounds interesting go check out the link and see if that's a good fit or for you or someone you know uh also dead poet society coming october 3rd do we did do we know if it's streaming anywhere i'm sure you can find it it's gotta be i haven't looked yet i'm sure you can find it somewhere um and then lastly what was the last thing oh patreon.com slash book riot podcast we're going to take a quick break in real time and then create a new file and talk about it ends with us i think i'm glad that this will not be publicly released this discussion (laughs) you and i are about to have i have gone back and forth on how i feel about the possibility of that (laughs) it's a it would be a public service potentially someone we worked with we were previewing our takes and he's like is this in the public feed and right now it's in the, the patreon again I, I don't. I have no interest in getting a knife and fork out. No. Um, but we have thoughts and observations and surprises. So we're, I'm looking forward to talking about it with Rebecca. There was there was some uh, in media red text that went back and forth. <laughs> yeah. I will say as well. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Rebecca. Have a good one.